There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, folks. Let me tell you about Luke's English Podcast Premium. There's a thing called Luke's English Podcast Premium, and it's my paid subscription service. In premium episodes, I do my best to help you expand your vocabulary, understand grammar, and improve your pronunciation. I publish the episodes on my website and in the Luke's English Podcast app. If you'd like to sign up or just get more information, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. In this episode, you can hear me having a conversation with Christian from Kangaroo English. Do you know about Kangaroo English? Some of you will already be aware of it. Kangaroo English is a YouTube channel, it's an Instagram account, it's a Facebook page, it's a Twitter account, and it's also an audio podcast. And it's all the work of Christian Saunders, an English teacher who originally comes from Australia but now lives and works in Spain. By the way, the kangaroo part is spelled C-A-N-G-U-R-O, and it's spelled like that because it's pronounced exactly the same as the word kangaroo when pronounced in Christian's Aussie accent. The kangaroo, of course, being one of the symbols of Australia. And I'm now thinking, do you know you know what a kangaroo is? I don't know. I don't know if everyone knows. It's that animal that has a long tail, large hind legs and a pouch on its belly. They jump around the Australian outback and in fact can only be found in Australia, I think. Unless, you know, you go to the zoo or something. But anyway, say the word kangaroo in an Aussie accent and it sounds like it should be spelt C-A-N-G-U-R-O. Kangaroo. Anyway, I've been aware of Christian from Kangaroo English and his work for a few years now, as his videos often pop up in my suggested videos section on YouTube. Christian teaches English in his videos like many other YouTube English teachers, but over the last few years he's focused on delivering messages about changing the way that we learn and teach languages, the importance of taking responsibility for your own language learning, and generally exploring the psychology and philosophy of learning other languages, especially English. When I see Christian's videos, I'm always struck by how passionate he is about his work, how he manages to communicate quite complex ideas using simple language in a clear and engaging manner, his use of metaphors and visual demonstrations, and a generally thoughtful and generous approach to helping people not only learn English, but to think about how they approach the learning of English. Then, recently, Christian did an event on social media in order to raise money for educational charity. Some of you might have seen it. The video involved him reading every single word from a copy of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. 
live on YouTube, which is actually much harder than it sounds, going through the dictionary and just reading out the words listed. He sat in front of the camera with the dictionary in front of him and proceeded to read each word one by one, and he continued doing it for 18 solid hours. You can find the video on YouTube. I think the video itself maybe cuts out after about 11 or 12 hours. I'm not sure. Maybe there was like a technical issue. But apparently he did do it for 18 full hours. I watched some of it and it was impressive. Not just because it was for a good cause. He was doing it for an educational charity. The project being to build a school uh, in a in a country where, you know, children desperately need uh, educational facilities. So not it was impressive, not just because it was for a good cause, but it because it just seemed so tough. After 10 hours or something, he seemed to be totally exhausted. His eyes were hurting. His face was hurting. His brain was hurting. He must have been going mad sitting in front of that huge tome with so many thousands of words ahead of him. And the whole time there were people in the comments section encouraging him, cheering him on, and donating money to the educational charity he was promoting. The aim being to raise $50,000 to go towards the building of a school for poor children. Was it dollars or euros? I can't remember at this point. Anyway, after watching Christian for a while, I, I went to bed. And I woke up early the next morning and checked YouTube, and he was still going. And I decided there and then that it was about time I talked to him on my podcast just because I wanted to know what it was like for him to let him explain why he was doing it and also just to get stuck into a wider conversation about lots of other things. And that's what you're going to hear in this episode. Um, I sort of had a feeling that Christian and I would get on quite well and that we'd have plenty to talk about and I wasn't wrong as you'll hear in our chat. This was a long conversation but it went by really quickly and it was really enjoyable to actually talk to Christian properly after having seen his thought-provoking videos on YouTube. Our conversation covers things like catching COVID-19, the Charity Dictionary Reading Marathon, Christian's story of moving to Spain and renovating an old barn into a home for him and his family, what it's like being an English teacher in classrooms, and also a content creator for learners of English online, motivation in language learning, my personal situation learning French, Christian's speaking style, how Barack Obama speaks, Paul McCartney recording an album in his kitchen, and loads of other things too. I'm very happy that I spoke to Christian because the conversation you're about to hear does contain some really important principles about language learning, including many big conclusions that both Christian and I have reached after being involved in language teaching and learning for many years. Listen carefully. There's definitely some good wisdom to be picked up from this. I hope so anyway. And at the very least, it's nice to just get to know Christian in a bit more detail. You should know that there is a YouTube video version of this conversation in which you can see both Christian and me talking to each other. So head over to my YouTube channel, Luke's English Podcast on YouTube to find it. And don't forget to like and subscribe when you do that. That's right. Smash that like button, guys. Uh, you will also find the YouTube video of this conversation embedded on the page for this episode on my website. That's it for my introduction then. I'll talk to you again briefly at the end of this episode. 
But now I will let you get stuck into this conversation with Christian from Kangaroo English. And here we go. Christian from Kangaroo English. Hello. Hello. Uh, good, good morning. Good morning. Is it a good morning? You just told me that the weather is a bit rubbish today. Yeah, the weather's not the weather's not not very good today, um, and and I think this there must be something in the air as well because um, we have two cats, and what, one of them is a is is a kind of an older, kind of obese female cat, mm. and we also have a, a young male kitten um, who's like twenty kilos lighter, and they've just been fighting constantly for the past um, two days. Oh, really? Just, yeah. So. That's been nice. <laughs> Constant rain and cats fighting. It's been, it's been nice. Yeah, it's the it's a kind of sign of the times, isn't it? It's kind of a weird time where cats fight and it rains and uh, there's a virus going around and all that sort of thing. You actually, you you, uh, well, I was going to say, how are you? You had the coronavirus, didn't you? You caught it. I did. Yes, I, I, um, I, I went to Italy in March. Like just when, in fact, I was in the north of Italy in um, in Torino, mm-hmm. and at that moment, the 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 I can't remember now the name of the, the the province, but there was a province in the north of Italy which is basically next to Torino, and that was the the first place in Europe that had the virus really bad. I don't know if you remember, mm. um, and and that was blocked off, so nobody was in and out, um, but. You know, nobody was taking the virus seriously. I wasn't taking it seriously. Um, everyone, no one in Torino was taking it seriously. Um, and yeah, I, I, I caught it, and I was quite sick for for a few weeks. I was never in mortal danger. I was just, you know, I just felt terrible. What, what, um, what kind of symptoms? But uh, I, I, funnily enough, you know, um, I never had any breathing problems, which is the you know the normally the number one mm. symptom, and I never had any. Um, I never had a cough or, or any of the typical stuff. I just felt really tired and I had really intense headaches. Um, the worst headaches I've ever had in my life. Mm. Um, that was, that was, that was pretty much it. It was like a, it was like an extended hangover. It was like drinking a bottle of tequila every night for like a month. But without any of the fun side of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was the problem. <laughs> that was the problem. Okay. Are you okay now though? You don't have any sort of lasting issues with that or anything? Um, I mean, <sighs> I don't think so. I mean, um, you know, I've definitely felt better in my life. You know what I mean? But whether I can attribute that to, to you know, some long-lasting effects of COVID or the fact that, um, you know, 2020 has just, everyone's life has been turned upside down. Yeah. Um, it's difficult to say. I mean, how, how are you, how are you coping with, with, with this? Um, oh dear. Well, I'm um, obviously we have to, you know, wear masks and stuff. And uh, now in, in Paris where I live, they've um, brought in a curfew. So after, um, you know, 9pm, you're not allowed to basically go outside unless you're working. Um, so it's this weird, it's, it's, you know what it's like, it's, it's a weird atmosphere. And uh, it's hard to know, every, every, you know, you're just sort of 
living day by day and sometimes you it starts to prey on your mind of kind of like how long are we going to be doing this and uh, uh, I, I worry about my parents catching it and, and stuff like that and they're far from me I can't go and travel back home to England to see them my family and friends so sometimes there's that sense of isolation that I think we're all experiencing and that kind of low level sense of kind of fear or paranoia or something going around um i got ill um gosh when was it probably just over a week ago maybe a week and a half ago i got sick uh, and i had a temperature and i had a really sore throat and i felt exhausted and i thought oh god here we go Uh, i must have covid and this is going to be a real pain because it means that my wife's gonna have to stay uh, stay at home my daughter who is nearly three won't be able to go to school it's going to make life so difficult um and plus i felt terrible went down to get tested stood outside the testing center for about two hours in the rain thankfully i had an umbrella and and you know a coat on and stuff um finally got tested they shoved a you know, you've probably, yeah. you, you know, you have the test. You've had the test. Yeah. Uh, they horrible. shove a sort of um, cotton buds right down your nasal cavity, which is quite horrible. Um, and then got the test results negative, meaning huh. the result was negative, which was positive. Um, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Like it's a, a negative result is positive, but it's also not positive, you know. So yeah. I didn't have it, which is good. Even though there was a slight yeah. sense of like, oh right, okay, so what what's what's the matter with me then? <laughs> I think I was just tired and I just had like yeah. you know a seasonal thing, but um, yeah, you know, I think it's probably similar to what everyone else is experiencing. Yeah, it's just just makes life complicated and difficult. But I, you know, I just obviously I have to say uh, that uh, you know we we're thinking about the the people who have been properly affected by this and mm. and stuff like that. I don't know. We could go into it more, but I think that we can probably just move on. But anyway, you're, you're all right. That's that's the that's the main thing. Yeah, I'm I'm totally fine. It's kind of funny to be talking to you because I've seen you on YouTube uh, quite a lot. You know, you pop up in my YouTube recommended videos. Um, I think I'm subscribed to your channel. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny to be talking to you. The I guess the reason why I I decided to. F- speak to you i've been meaning to kind of get in touch with you for ages is i saw your dictionary challenge Mm. and it was amazing it was quite quite impressive um and also a little bit worrying because i because it's you see it seemed to be so exhausting so can you just tell us about the dictionary challenge what what was it just in case people don't know what we're talking about. yeah no of course um well so a few years ago um i wanted to um raise some money for, for for charity um, and because I was talking to this to this this guy in my in my small town, uh, who'd just come back from from Athens in Greece, and he he had been there volunteering at this this center, uh, where basically because in general you know Greece is the gateway through Europe for for a lot of immigrants you know from North Africa from 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 the Middle East, um, and so this this place is just a this this like five-story building in the middle of Athens. Um, it's run by all Spanish people, which is very strange, right? Um, so there's all these Spaniards in the middle of Athens yeah. uh, working on this, this refugee project. And so they, um, they give them meals, they give them English classes, uh, they, they have like a massive clothes bank. Um, and, and all of this is done from donations from people in Spain. And so I had the idea, well, why don't I... Um, 
you know, why don't I, I try and help somehow? And I wanted to do like an event and I knew it had to be a kind of long event because a f- years ago I, I didn't have that many subscribers. I think at that point maybe I had, you know, 10,000 followers or something, maybe 15,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew if I wanted to raise a lot of money, I needed to do something long. Yeah. Um, and I had this, this um, idea to just, to just read the dictionary. Um, and, and in fact, I wasn't, I wasn't the first person to do it. I don't know if you know the YouTuber called Mr. Beast. I've heard of Mr. Beast. I've never actually seen yeah. his stuff. Mr. Beast does basically really kind of um, childish challenges, like, <laughs> um, uh, but but with expensive stuff. Like, for example, uh, people have to put their hand on a Ferrari, okay. and the, the the last person to take their hand off the Ferrari gets the Ferrari. Stuff like that. Ah, oh, right. Wow. <laughs> like so all these weird. He's giving away a Ferrari. Yes, he gives away houses, cars, uh, islands, just crazy stuff. How yeah, crazy stuff? Um, he ha- he is one of the most subscribed channels on YouTube, um, and and it's an indication of you know when when you're at the top of your game, like like any industry, right? Like you know the top CEOs, the top um, musicians, the top they're earning a, a crazy amount of money. Like yeah. it's unimaginable how much money they're earning. Mm. Um, but I mean, the thing that I like about Mr. Beast, and I don't actually watch his content because it's kind of, well, I don't really, it's not in my sphere of interest, but, um, he, he's all about, he's all about raising money to essentially give it away. So a lot of his challenges are like, he will, he goes into a supermarket and buys everything. So when he walks out, all the food is gone. They're just empty shelves. And then he'll take all that food and give it to a food bank, stuff like that, you know? So There's like a focus on on charity. Anyway, sorry for the big the big uh, detour there. It's fine. But he he was he actually has a video from like 2010 or something like years ago, and he sat and read the dictionary. Um, but it was like a little pocket dictionary, and it took him about six hours. Um, so anyway, a few years ago, I wanted to try and read the whole Oxford dictionary, um, and and at that point. Um, it was me and my wife and another teacher and people from the community and also other, other YouTube teachers. And so we took turns basically at doing it. And it took about 40, I think it took 43 hours or something, 44 hours. Um, but, and that was, it was really good. We raised money. We, um, Scholastic, the company Scholastic did an amazing deal on teaching materials and so we bought these materials with the money that we raised and we, we, we went to Athens and I made a video about it and it was really, it was awesome. Um, and this year I wanted to do, do it again, but I kind of decided to do it last minute and I didn't have time to organize it with other teachers. So I thought, okay, I, I can do this. You know, <laughs> I can do this myself. I'm sure. Cause like I kind of, I'm not with my work, I kind of get a bit obsessed about my work. And so it's, it's not unusual for me to work all night and, you know, then the next day. So, um, I knew that I could stay awake. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't a problem. Um, and also I, I read, basically I read a few pages from the dictionary in time to myself and I said, okay, it's going to take about 27, 28 hours. I can do that. You know, it's like one day of reading. I can do that. But, but, but of course, the problem is when you sit down to read, um, you can't maintain the speed necessary, right? Yeah. Um, 
it, it starts to kind of hurt. It, um, like my, my face was hurting just from constantly talking. You know, my, my vocal cords were hurting. It sounds so pathetic, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, my poor <laughs> vocal cords. My poor vocal cords. <laughs> so, you know, there's people out there, um, you know, soldiers in, you know, in, in, on the front line, and I'm complaining about my vocal cords. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, um, yeah, it starts to hurt. And, and obviously, you know, just the concentration required to just read constantly, I started to get slower and slower and mm. slower. And so after... After um, 18 hours, I was not even halfway through. I was probably a third, maybe not even a third. So it would have taken me at least 60 hours, um, prob- but probably more. And I-, and I knew I couldn't do it. So I had to, I, d- I did 18 hours and I had to call it a day. It's a yeah. pretty good innings. <laughs> it was, um, I was disappointed in, in myself. My father-in-law was, was very disappointed in me. He's been talking about it constantly about how um he wants his money back because i gave up (laughs) um but uh yeah it was really good um and we raised uh about ten thousand dollars wow yeah good but uh we're not finished yet because we want to raise 50 and so soon i'm going to do something with with my community on facebook um to try and to try and raise the, the rest of the money so we'll see because um oh and maybe I, I forgot to actually say that the point the point is that um all the money went to this charity called pencils of promise um and they, they build schools uh in lots of different countries in in the world you know with underprivileged children mm-hmm. um and i i like the idea of building a school because it's a generational thing um and and basically, you know, every by by every single metric, so that's like um, life expectancy, uh, you know, happiness, uh, earnings. By every single metric, education makes your life better. So that's why I think it's um, that's why I think it's important, and that's why I think that everybody should have access to, to free education as well. Where will the school be? I don't know. There's there's some candidate countries. There's like Nicaragua is one, uh, Laos in 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 Southeast Asia. Um, uh, they're the two. They're the two probably best candidates. Yeah. 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 I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah. If people want to donate, how do they do it? Um, the do- well, uh, the the donation the 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 event will officially end on on Christmas on uh, New Year's Eve, December thirty first. Uh, and if they want to donate, they can go to uh, kangaroenglish.com forward slash donate. Okay. Which redirects you directly to the to the Pencils of Promise website. Kangaroenglish.com forward slash donate. Yes. Okay. Right. So reading from the dictionary then, um, wh- yeah. were you making, obviously you were raising money for charity. Were you making another point about learning English? Was there another <laughs> point to it? No, there was no other point. Um, I, I think. I think what what was really, and I know this is going to sound really strange, but even though I read the Oxford Dictionary like four years ago, reading Merriam-Webster Dictionary, which I did this time, it it had a different feel to it mm-hmm. because obviously, when you if you have an online dictionary, you essentially have unlimited space, right? You 
every word that you've written a, um, a definition for, you, you include it in your online dictionary. But when it comes to printed dictionary, you have to make hard choices about what kind of vocabulary goes in, what kind goes out. And I noticed that Merriam-Webster was really heavy on the scientific vocabulary. Um, and, and that just made it an absolute nightmare to read. You know, <laughs> it's like there was whole sections of like chemical names, like, you know, dihydro extras, methylosony. I was just, oh my God. Yeah. Um, and where's the word stress in that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also another thing that was, was different was that, um, in the Oxford dictionary, you have the, the word printed, the, the, just the full word. And then next to that, you have the IPA. In the Merriam-Webster dictionary, they break the word into syllables. So you have the part of the word, then the then the, the dot to yeah. mark the syllable. So when you're reading a word, when it's broken up like that, the, the, it requires extra cognitive effort to put it together. Mm. Like, like, for example, the word effort would be EF dot F-O-R-T. So... When you're reading, if you're reading quickly, you go F fort, uh, and then you're like, "Wait a second, no, no it's not F fort, it's effort." I know that word, but because it's written differently, my brain just says, yeah. "No, I, you don't know what that word is." So, every dictionary, I imagine, has a different kind of flavor to it, right? A different, a different vibe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I see. Do Do you think that uh, learners of English should use dictionaries in their learning? Uh, yeah, routines. I mean, um, yeah, the, you know, the, the, I mean, actually a, a question that, that, that students ask me sometimes is, um, should I use a monolingual or a bilingual dictionary? And there's, believe it or not, there's actually been, um, a, a little bit of research done about that, you know, where they put students in classrooms and they, they, they asked them to learn vocabulary with monolingual or bilingual dictionaries, mm. and they didn't find any difference, um, which, which is kind of not surprising to me because um, at the end of the day, you know, your brain is <laughs> – I, I, think, I think people who, who, who kind of push the idea of monolingual dictionaries, I think that the, the kind of uh, theory is that – if you stay, if you stay in the the target language, so if you're learning English and you're using a monolingual English dictionary, mm. then you're you're kind of performing this brain magic, where suddenly the word only exists in the English part of your brain, right? It's uh -huh. like it's like you're because you're avoiding the translation part. It's like you magically have it there available in English, but you know, I mean, the neuroscience is pretty clear that that. That that's not how um, you know. That's not how we learn vocabulary. That you know, when you're learning a second language, especially as an adult, right? You know, you go from you go from the word in your in your native language. So for me, it would be English. And then if I want to learn a Spanish word, I have to go through that. I have to go through that English word to get to the Spanish word, right? So it's like word, and then no. So it's like Spanish word, then English word, then meaning. You know, I have to you go. You have through to the... translate it to English for it to to because the, the meaning already exists there in English. Exactly. So you have to attach it to that English word, but that's I guess where the the problem is also. Yeah, I mean, so so yeah, so at the beginning, you know, when you first learn new words, you go through your your, your native language, but then over time, you know, the more that you the, the more abilities you you gain in your in your second language, and the more. 
um, the more the more you are exposed to that word, you form that direct connection with the meaning. So you don't need to go through your native language anymore. Um, mm. And that's you know that's when that's when we could say that you sort of become fluent, right? Because you're in a way the connection becomes you know automatic rather than a process of 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 like um, of like it, uh, translation, a process of of actually having to kind of let's say think about what it means. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. So and when do people get to that stage then when they're not having to? you know, to actively translate words when it's just all sort of flowing directly in, in the target language? I think it's impossible to say. I think um, everybody's different, I imagine. Um, you know, I think there's, there's so many factors, right? It's like age of exposure. Um, there's also lots of um, evidence about how kind of core vocabulary. So like, let's say the first thousand words that you learn as a child, which would be, the most common words, you know, in, in any language, um, you know, those those words are stored in 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 a, in a much deeper way in your brain than than vocabulary that you would only encounter, let's say, twice a year or something. Mm. Um, and so, I would say that those words uh, that you're encountering more more often, um, they they would probably become, you know, they would become a lot quicker for you to for you to become, let's say, fluent in. Only because you're exposed to them more often. Um, I don't think there's any, you know, I don't think there's any, there's any kind of secret here. It's just um, if you if you're exposed to a word a lot, you you just automatically know what it means, right? Yeah, just um, context. Yeah, you just you, you piece it together, and it, it as you hear it more and more, it just gets reinforced again and again. Especially if you're using it too, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I mean. Um, I'm, I'm trying to learn Arabic at the moment and it's obviously I've, when I was at high school, I learned French, <laughs> L- learned, yeah. learned French. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause you live in Paris, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how's your French? Not very good. <laughs> but uh, as I, as I always say, you know, my French is not as good as it should be, but my excuses are improving all the time. <laughs> I'm very fluent, I'm very fluent in excuses, but uh, you know that some of the I, you know they're all excuses. But uh, no, it's not as good as it should be. But I also learnt French at GCSE level in school, and I got a B, yeah. which was you know not okay. not bad. Uh, but then, well, God, how many years was it from when I left school and promptly rejected everything that I'd learnt um, at the age of sixteen? Um, um, to when I actually started using French when I met my my uh, wife. She wasn't my wife when mm. I met her. That would have been weird. But um, <laughs> um, so yeah, a long time, a long time passed, and sort of you know a lot of that went out the window. And the real the real experience of living in France and just for me, it, it you know I moved here when I was how old was I? Oh God, I don't know, thirty five or thirty six or something like that. And mm. it was more just like the. The, the challenge of like just trying to live my life and I felt like I wasn't I don't know I didn't have that much time to kind of you know basically it's it's about needing to speak French and there are times when I definitely need it but then a lot of the time on a day-to-day basis I can kind of go through my day with a certain level of French I feel bad I often make a fool of myself and I feel ashamed that my French isn't better but it's kind of like yeah. enough to survive on but then yeah. 
then I, I will go to a party or something and I'm completely lost and I feel totally awful. Uh, it's a bit complicated. It's all wrapped up in psychology and yeah. stuff. No, I mean, um, I think to me it was really interesting the vocabulary that you just used when you were describing your experience learning French, mm -hmm. right? So you said that, you know, you, you studied French for GCSEs. Yeah. And then you said, but then when I actually started using French, yeah. right? Which, 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 which is like, which makes me just think, you know, what a shame, right? What a shame that we've got, we've got kids in a learning environment who, who are kind of in a learning mode as well. You know, they know, you know, they're prepared to be there. They're prepared to study and we're kind of wasting their time, um, you know, filling them with, with things that, that are probably mostly just grammatical points right uh, it's more like yeah. let's learn about the the grammar of french you know here's a list of vocabulary um when when we could actually have generations of children actually using french right so that when yeah. they leave the classroom they can go and do stuff like live in paris and go to parties and have great conversations yeah I, the only time i remember actually using french properly in a meaningful conversation was was the the oral exam for GCSE, where I sat with my French teacher and finally had a conversation with her for about 10 minutes. And I did, you know, reasonably well, um, yeah. because I've been practicing for it. But uh, yeah, the only things I remember from my French classes at school were uh, embarrassingly having to talk to the kid next to me about my pet cat. And, <laughs> and then mainly like the, the girls at the back of the classroom and boys at the back of the classroom just kind of um, completely ruining the lesson because they hated it. I remember one particular incident that always sticks with me is that a girl fainted and it was pretty obvious that she was faking it. I mean, it's like almost like everyone knew that it wasn't real. It's like almost like there was this feeling in the classroom of like she's blatantly faking it and she's she's getting away with it. And everyone was like, good, because now we can just mess around while the teacher has to deal with this this situation. So just a lot of unwillingness on the part of the students and yeah. just the teacher struggling and getting angry with the kids and, yeah, you know, just the practicality yeah. of it. Well, I mean, that, I mean that, that's another thing to consider here. Um, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about the classroom, you know, the general classroom experience, and obviously there's, there's been a move since we went to school, you know, towards, well, it depends on the country, right? But there's been kind of a general move towards a more communicative approach. Mm. But, um, you know, basically when, when I think about, you know, the, the general classroom experience, um, the teacher also is, is probably not enjoying themselves, you know, mm -hmm. they're under pressure to to kind of teach to the test because uh, like if we look at the, the UK, for example, you know, um, the, there's lots of uh, the testing that's done mm. for, you know, on a national level, on, a, on an individual school level. Um, and, and that means that teachers are, have a big responsibility to teach the stuff that's going to be in the test. And, you know, that's, you know, where's, I, you know, I wonder how much joy the average language teacher, you know, experiences because their freedom is restricted, right? They, it's not as if, it's not as if they have the freedom to say, well, I'm going to take this group of kids and I'm going to teach them to just at least be able to operate on a fundam in a fundamental way. No, because, you know, on Friday we've, you know, got a test about present simple or whatever. Yeah. And, um, 
and I think it's so you know we we need change not just for not just for the students but but also for the teachers so that like you say they're not getting angry and frustrated because the kids are bored yes know? yes exactly yeah. also I basically for me personally now in my life mm. I need to make a, a personal commitment to to my French and I need to find my own personal reasons for it mm. um and uh you know there's a lot of that it's a lot about finding your own personal motivation and your own personal goals and unlocking that and i you know i you know i'm i'm a bit self-deprecating about my french i do mm. find some things i do have some things that i love doing in french like reading graphic novels is the thing that okay. i've found i've been searching for the right podcast i've been searching for the right things to use um i, I can't really speak uh, French with my wife because she has a, the the patience of a Parisian woman. <laughs> <laughs> the and, patience of a Parisian waiter. Well, yeah, that kind of thing where basically it's like, your French isn't good enough, let's just do this in English, which is kind of like the, the Parisian waiter's uh, approach. Um, and we started, you know, we started our relationship in English and it's very difficult to switch and all those things. But uh, no, I yeah. found some things really, really nice and motivating, like reading graphic novels um, yeah. are, are really good. Um, now, I yeah. mean, I, I, if, if and, and, you know, th- this is something that I, I get, I get a lot of criticism for, you know, mm-hmm. from, from, from maybe from some other teachers, but actually ironically from a lot of students is that they say that um, I kind of promote laziness uh-huh. because because if I because if I was if I was you know your your teacher if I was your French teacher I would say to you look you know um, if you can kind of on a day to day basis do all the things you need to do and you struggle occasionally I would say that you should you should be happy with that you know mm-hmm. um, you know and and but if you're going to parties regularly or if you're kind of like you know, if you're struggling regularly and you're feeling super frustrated about not being able to, you know, kind of express your ideas, I mean, maybe it's affecting your work, for example, then I would say, yeah, you need to work on that. Um, and, you know, and so, uh, you know, people say, oh, well, Christian, you, you just, you're just promoting laziness because we should all try to, um, you know, aim for the, to be the best we could be and to, to aim for perfection. And, you know, this, you're just a symptom of, um, you know this modern this modern thing where even people who come fifth in the race they get a they get a prize right yeah. they get a trophy as well yeah yeah um, but I don't know I if I take a, a historical view of language learning you know l- language learning has has in a way always been about necessity you mm. know um, you know the, the 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 first people to learn other languages you know well before you know the ancient greeks and i'm talking about hunter gatherers you know they they learned languages because they they needed to trade or they needed to um you know maybe maybe make peace or or whatever they needed to do they weren't interested in fluency or perfection as some kind of abstract you know yeah, goal right yeah. and 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 i think you you said it before actually it's like um you know, you don't really have a need. Like you haven't, you haven't, you either don't have the need or you haven't created the need. So, I would say it's okay. I mean, to be I mean, how do you <laughs> to be uh, to to give a bit more information uh, yeah. about my situation. So, yeah. uh, I will. I am going to apply for French citizenship 
for okay. various reasons, just because, you know, ultimately it's going to be easier for me and Brexit and all that stuff. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, they require a B1 level of French, and I've had the test, and I, I got it. I got B1. So, you know, nice. in that sense, I've, nice. my level, I'm doing all right. But, yeah. Um, yeah, there is the sense that, I mean, we're, we're getting a bit personal here, but the sense that it sort of does hold me back in various ways, not being able to communicate in French the way I want. But, yeah. um, you know, it's something for me to work on. Um, well, I mean, yeah. th- then I would say to you, yeah, if that's how you feel and, you know, and if that is actually, um, you know, if, if, if it is, and, and that's something that you have to reflect on, right? Mm. Then I would say, yeah, you would, you would probably feel better um, about actually, you know, dedicating some time yeah. to, to improving your French. Right? Yeah, I've got to just organize um, myself. It's just, you know, <laughs> I, after I'm 43 now and, you know, I, I've learned that I, I'm not the most organized person. And I'm a bit like you. If I get into one project, I just kind of obsessively go for that at the at the expense of at the expense other of everything else yeah so right. i'm yeah. kind of like oh i've got this podcast you know i've recorded this recorded this podcast with christian i've got to you know edit this and get this ready and then get it up uh, online whereas you know my french is kind of going but what about me and i'm like oh, okay 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 I'll, I'll do you in a bit you know so <laughs> i need to get my priorities uh, sorted out it's you know it's complicated life is pretty complicated it's difficult to, to it get is everything it done. is and i think i think that's one fundamental thing that is kind of overlooked, right? Um, like if, if you look at, um, let's say, a majority of, of, of courses that, that, are, that are being sold right now, uh, and they could be courses you know, from huge organizations like Pearson or, or even just um, uh, you know, like individual kind of language gurus. Yeah. Um, there's always kind of that promise of fluency, right? It's mm-hmm. always like the end, yeah. the end goal. But um, I think there's very few adults who really have the time and the and the patience to be able to achieve that. Um, and so I think I don't know. I mean, may, maybe maybe I am. Um, may, maybe there is an element of truth about me promoting laziness, right? But but I would say that um, a general lowering of expectations among adults would probably lead to more success because you know you would feel like. Well, the only thing that I wanted to do was to be able to, um, I don't know, say my name, say my age, ask how you are. You know, if, if that's, yeah. if that's, you know, your objective and it's a small objective and it's, it's, it's a low expectation, you achieve that, you feel good and then you want to keep going. Yeah, right? definitely. I don't think you're promoting laziness. I think you're just accepting that laziness is a thing that exists. <laughs> and, that, you know, it's just like, let, let's just accept that, that human beings, especially adults, are lazy or busy or confused or whatever, that they don't necessarily have the, um, you know, the time, the energy to to devote themselves to language learning in the way that would be the most effective. So, mm. we're taking this into account, let's take a more realistic approach to setting goals and then achieving those goals. Because ultimately, having uh, perfection as your goal can be crushing. It can be. It's it's extremely difficult. Agreed. It's like climbing Mount Everest. Some people can do it, you know, and people do it actually every day, you know, with the example of Mount Everest. But also, many people die on that mountain. <laughs> there are lots of frozen dead bodies up there. Uh, language learners who've ch- attempted to achieve uh, perfection and who've perished in some way in the process. You know, it can be d- destructive. It can be quite damaging. Uh, obviously, it's good to have those sorts of ideals, and, you know, many people uh, succeed, but a lot of people don't. And so we're, we're working on a pragmatic 
in a, in a, on a pragmatic level of like, you know, let's just let's break it down a bit. Let's make simplify it and let's try to uh, get more realistic goals. And ultimately, motivation is the most important thing. And we just want to help people learn English uh, or any other language in a way that allows them to stay motivated. So I think, you know, exactly. I think, you know, people. I, just- I love that analogy. The Mount Everest is it's perfect, actually. Um, yeah, and but isn't it funny how um, how technology has has made climbing Mount Everest a lot easier? Because mm. um, as you say, there's people summiting like every day now, isn't there? With, yeah, there's you a, know, they've there's, got there's a queue of people lining up. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, um, I, I'm sure that 30 years ago that that wasn't a thing at all. Mm. Um, uh, unfortunately, technology isn't really a help to us, you know, as teachers. Um, no. I don't think so because I don't think that, um, well, there's no, uh, I can't think of any evidence that technology improves outcomes. Uh, I mean, it might make certain things, let's say, less tedious. So if you, you know, one, one really effective way to learn vocabulary is using spaced repetition. So, you know, flashcards basically and obviously um software like anki or memrise mm. you know that makes that makes doing flashcards a lot easier and more you know meth- methodical so in that sense it, it kind of makes the learning process easier but it doesn't change the way that the brain learns right because the brain is the same now as it was um 30 years ago and although flashcards can help you to remember vocabulary um you're still not going to be able to, you know, again, it's that kind of thing where you're going to have to go through your native language to get Mm -hmm. to the meaning, you Mm -hmm. know, unless you also output them, unless you produce that vocabulary, um, then, then it's not going to become automatic. Right. So, um, you still have to do the same amount of kind of hard work. You still have to, yeah, the process is the same. Right. I guess anyone who has downloaded a flashcards app on their phone, loaded it up with vocab and then not used it, uh, can also. will agree with you that that you still have to do the work. You know that the it's you know buying the the, the app or uh, buying the textbook or buying the the course of classes in your local language school isn't enough. There's no way of escaping the fact that you've still got to put the time in and uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you if you know this, but there's there's a really interesting fact about. Um, MOOCs. So MOOCs are, are called MOOCs are massive online open courses, um, and in fact, one of the biggest MOOCs that was ever um, published was um, was made by the British Council, and it was a MOOC about uh, how to pass the IELTS exam. Mm-hmm. But a, a, an interesting kind of fact about MOOCs is that the participation, no, not participation, the completion rate of MOOCs is basically linear, like this. <laughs> Right. So lesson one, you'll have a hundred percent of people in there. By lesson ten, by the final lesson, you'll have one percent. It depends. I mean, it's not always completely linear, but it's always like that. And I think it's just human nature, right? Um, everyone starts with great intentions, but there's there's few people who'll have the um, you know the, the 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 kind of discipline to to see it through. Yeah. Um, and that, that goes for anything. So it's not just English English courses. You know, that's learning anything. Um, yeah. So so what's the trick? I don't know. The trick, maybe like you said, it's about you know it's about finding if you're into the if you're into graphic novels, 
that's your thing, right? Yeah. It's then it's not work. Yeah. Uh, or just breaking it down step by step. You know, like that's how you climb a mountain. You don't like look at the top all the time. You, 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 it's literally you're looking at your feet and it's just step by step by step. And when you look up, it's a horrible sight because, oh my God, I've hardly made any progress at all. And if you look down, that's kind of scary. Although that can be quite good too. Like, oh, look, we've got this far, but I'm stuck on this mountain. Um, so just step by step, breaking it up into chunks. And yeah, just trying to find the thing that, you, that ultimately keeps you motivated, I suppose. Yeah. Now, no, I think, I think I, 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 I like that aspect of what you said about... Um, I think as well when you you know when when you when you're making progress with a with with a, another language, and it could be after you know a week or it could be after ten years, you know, like me, it's always I think it's always actually motivating to look back and go, wow, um, yeah, you know, I've gone from zero to to this. Even if this is not very good, it's still. I mean, it's I personally I think it's an amazing thing to be able to communicate with other people you know in, in another language because it's just it's so complicated you know mm. there's so many things to consider you know you've got pronunciation and and vocabulary and grammar and all the cultural things that you need to know about you know for example if you know well in french you have the tu vu thing i don't know how how much you that's still alive in in french at the moment oh yeah um, and it's a daily th- problem of like should i use two or vu for like you know uh one of my daughter's school friends parents who i sit next to in the in the park after school and we just sort of like have an informal chat it's like oh should i be saying two or vu to him and and i i'm i'm terrible because like half the time i'm saying two and half the time i say vu and sometimes i actually say vu two i say both and you know like with this look on my face of like which one shall i use hoping that they find the humor in it sometimes they're just don't it just doesn't register i don't know so yeah that is a daily what what about if you go somewhere in the middle like what if you do like a, a foo or something so you know <laughs> yeah like foo. it's also the 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 problem uh, uh, around about 6 p.m in the evening when people switch from saying bonjour to saying bonsoir oh, because yeah. in in france or maybe just in paris i don't know i think it's in france generally you have to say bonjour or bonsoir before you do anything else Okay. Otherwise, it's rude. So if you go into the boulangerie, bonjour, bonsoir, or if you even pass your ne- a neighbor in the building, bonjour, bonsoir. Uh, and what often happens is I say bonjour and they reply bonsoir to me. <laughs> You're like, and, damn it. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's like this. Bonjour, bonsoir. And I say soir. <laughs> you know <laughs> and they never find it funny and i'm just like oh come on and 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 when you when you go into the patisserie do you order a pan au chocolat or a chocolatine oh a pan au chocolat obviously because this is okay. paris in in the yeah this is a oh, big divisive thing as you know <laughs> uh, chocolatine in probably in the south i think but uh in paris it's a pan au chocolat which i ordered this morning successfully um, pan and au i'm chocolat, sure it was delicious yeah. because well, uh, I've never had, I don't care what anybody says, there's no equivalent to French pastries anywhere in the world. Mm. They're just on a, there's a, there's a, just a, a different level of, of pastry. Yeah. You know? Oh, right? they are wonderful. It's true. So you're in Spain. Now, I don't know that much about you. I just know you from your videos. Um, yeah. And certain things uh, uh, sort of occur to me when I see your videos. Like one of the things is like, you seem to have an amazing place. 
um, where you where you film your, your your content. You seem to have lots of space. It seems like a kind of a a cool artist studio or something. What what's going on there? Do you have a, a where do you record well, uh, your at stuff the, at the moment? At the moment, I'm in I'm in my house. This is this is my house. It's it's an old um it's an old farmhouse in yeah. the, in the country. I live in a in a tiny little village um surrounded by by cow farmers um but also i have a, an english i have a school it's a small school it's like three classrooms um in in the in the local kind of town which is about 15 minutes away mm-hmm. by, by car um and that's where i that's where i make my my content um but i'm lucky to be surrounded by a lot of nature mm-hmm. um you know if you if you look at where i live on google maps you just zoom out and it's just green, 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 yeah. just the whole way. Um, yeah, it's, it's a place full of, full of natural beauty. So, um, so you've got your own school. You set up your own school. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, I mean, the story, the story is that, that before I came to Spain, I'd done lots of different jobs. Um, but I'd spent most of my career as a, as a graphic designer and, mm. and all of the kind of associated – because. This was around the time of kind of the popularity of the internet. So I did graphic design for websites. So I was involved a little bit in, in the code side of things. Mm-hmm. I did graphic design for, um, for DVDs. So there was like, do you remember you do put the DVD and you have the menu oh, yeah. system? Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to do those. Um, in fact, I'd, I, I'd, I was going through a box of old things the other day and I found a CD-ROM business card. Do you remember those? Yeah, like small ones, about this big. Yeah, yeah. And, and you would give it to someone and, and they would put it in their computer and it would be your business card with a video. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, wow, this guy's like a CEO or something. He's got a video. Yeah, those were the days. Um, yeah, so I used to do that. Um, and then and then we, um, me and my, my wife, we, we moved here because because of my, my wife's parents are... Uh, 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 well, my wife's mum is, is Spanish from, mm-hmm. from this from this area, um, and we decided to to stay, um, and we we bought this this barn, but it was a ruin, right? So it had just four walls; it had nothing nothing inside. Um, so we had to live in a caravan while we were doing the, the the renovations. Yeah, and the caravan was supposed to be for for like a few months, you know. <laughs> Have you ever seen Grand Designs? Have you ever watched Grand Designs? I, I know of it. Yeah. Okay. It's a it's a program in which um people have big projects to for example renovate sort of old properties and um yes. we we watch the way that the they they the the problems that they have and uh, eventually hopefully they they create their dream house or something at the end. Yeah. Well, basically, the narrative of almost every episode of Grand Designs is the same. They think it's going to cost. They think it's going to cost a million. It costs ten million. They think it's going to take a week. It takes a year. Right? Yeah, and it was the same with us. So we actually lived in a caravan for for almost four years. Oh, what? Yeah. Um, which which at first it was romantic. It's like we're in a caravan. Yeah. But then after after six months, it's just horrible because. Uh, you have to shower outside in you know in any weather. Um, you have to use a chemical toilet. Um, you know you don't have space for literally anything. You have no possessions. Yeah. Uh, so it was horrible. But uh, you know, eventually now now we're in this house and uh, well, the reason I'm telling you the story yeah. 
<laughs> it's not an episode of Grand Designs. <laughs> um, um, it's one one night um, when we were in the caravan. Um, a, a neighbor came knocking on the on the caravan and said, um, "I work on on boats. He works on oil tankers, and these oil tankers have international crews. So the the kind of the the, the de facto language of communication is English." But they, at that at that time, ten years ago, they were changing the rules, and you needed to have a, an English certificate to prove that you had a level of English before they would give you a job on the boat. Right. Okay. So he needed to pass this exam, and he wanted to practice with a native speaker. So um, he said, can, "Can you, you know, can, can we have conversation class? Can we um, talk?" I'm like, um, "Okay, sure." Um, and in that class, he brought along a copy of English Grammar in Use. So this is when right. you were technically a graphic designer at this time. Well, at that at that at that particular moment, I wasn't. Yeah, I was I was making websites at that moment. Yep, you weren't. You hadn't become an English teacher at this point. No. Okay. No, no, I knew nothing about. I mean, I'd always be. I'd always liked language, like creative language, like writing and, yeah. and things. Yeah. I'd always enjoy, I'd always read a lot, you know, but mm. I'd never. And this was a shocking thing to me is that he brought along this this copy of English Grammar in Use, which is for a lot of English teachers the kind of Bible. It's this blue, it's this blue book. It's published by Cambridge University Press. Yeah. Um, it's written by um, yeah Raymond Murphy. This is a, um, this is an old edition that I'm showing here on, an old the, on the video. But yes, Raymond Murphy's <laughs> English Grammar in Use. This is the second edition. Okay, I think they're on the fourth edition now, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean that that is actually an amazing. It's an amazing book. I, I actually really love that book personally. Yeah, me too. Um, um, but when I started looking at it, I realized, you know, that I knew nothing about my own language. Like I literally had no idea. I didn't know. I'd never heard of the past perfect. Mm-hmm. Never. E- I never even heard that. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know what it was. Um, I didn't know that adjectives had an order. I didn't know um, the difference between, uh, you know, tense and aspect. And I didn't even know the most fundamental things about language. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I just got hooked on knowing. And since then, I've been on a mission to try and know all of it, (laughs) which is impossible because language is just too big. You're trying to learn English. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that, I think that is a fair description of what I'm trying to do. Actually. Okay. So when did you decide to start the YouTube channel? Is that five years ago? Yeah, 2015. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny because that was when my son had just turned one. He just turned one. And um, it, it was there was a lot of stress during that time because um, I was trying to te- – I was teaching because basically because I live in a small town – in order to make enough money to live, you have to do a lot of hours because mm-hmm. there's a maximum to how much you can charge per hour for your classes. Yeah. So I was doing, it depended on the day, but I was doing at least eight teaching hours a day. Yeah. So eight teaching hours actually means 12 hours at the school every day, right? Because you have to prepare for classes and there's admin stuff and photocopying you know oh yeah (laughs) a lot of photocopying (laughs) that's right unfortunately yes (laughs) yes um and and it was and it's just um you know i i think it it might be it might be you know uh it might be in in a way in a kind of twisted way i think for some people it's a badge of honor to say you know i teach 
eight classes a day, but I, it's not a good thing. I think that you get burnt out. You can't give you can't give good classes yeah. when you're teaching that many hours. Yeah. I've been there too. Um, um, I've yeah. been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. Uh, completely ex- spent many years just totally exhausting myself in in yeah. classes. Having you know, often having a great time, sometimes having a terrible time. But yes, exhausting, punishing. It's a punishing yeah. Um, routine. Yeah. I, well, I think, but is, isn't it interesting? Don't, don't you think that it's difficult for people? Uh, outside to kind of understand why just talking uh for example is is kind of exhausting yeah it's it it annoys me quite a lot that um a lot of people (laughs) a lot of my friends even my family uh don't have any idea what i do i think that they often think that it's just me in some nice little comfortable space with three japanese children in front of me and i'm going uh red blue yellow yay okay that's it you know that's what they think and some of my friends think that it's just like a holiday job you know i remember having a conversation with a friend of mine once who was saying to me you know i'm just i'm really fed up with my with my career i'm thinking of um i'm thinking of dropping out and becoming a tefl teacher i was like what do you mean dropping out you like yeah yeah all right yeah drop out and become a tefl teacher yeah you'll see you'll see what it's like it's not it's not you know because i think for some people it's like you do it they do a year off from university or they finish university they go traveling for a year and teaching english is something that they do but not in a very serious way for a year so they people associate english teaching with you know being a a student traveling and and stuff like that but uh in the in the actual real world it's uh, it's it's pretty tough stuff if you're trying to make your living from doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and um, yeah, it's difficult for people to understand like why it's exhausting because you know you're not physic you're not digging holes, right? You're not yeah. you're not digging a hole for a swimming pool. You're kind of in a room. But there's just I don't know. There's just after, especially, and I'm sure you've had this kind of student, right? It's like <laughs> they come they come to class and they say. Um, I want to, I want to learn how to speak. You know, I want to pay you because you're a native speaker. I want to be fluent at conversation. You know, okay, great. And they come to class and you say, um, how are you? And they say, good. So what did you do yesterday? Uh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, great. <laughs> so you're paying to talk and you're not talking. You know, you're yeah. paying, you're, you're paying to talk. You're not taking the opportunity to, um, you know, to, and this is this is, I think, a, a problematic student mindset, right? Is it like people want to passively sit and they want someone to fill them with language, right? Yep. Like the job of the teacher is to fill me with, you know, um, with information, with with fluency. But you know, it's not like that, is it? They they have to do the hard work. Yeah, that's right. People think that and it's kind of like going back to what we said before about sort of buying an app or buying an English course. They think that essentially i suppose what they think is that they're they're giving the responsibility to someone else it's like i've paid my yes. money um yes. and here you go now as you said fill me with english go yes and um yeah it's, it's not how it works unfortunately um no so it and, can and be- i wish i wish more students knew that right and i wish that um i wish that that became it's, it's almost like we need to have um a course like a pre-course for all language learners that kind of says, okay, listen, <laughs> before you go on the learning process, here's what you need to know about actually learning a language. That's what yeah. 
that that's what should be it should be mandatory right and it can you know it can be like i'm here to help you you know i've got lots of experience and i know you know what you you know i can help i can explain these things and give you uh, i can facilitate your language learning but ultimately i can't learn it for you you've got to do it for yourself um so but then youtube so you so after slaving away for eight hours a day or 12 hours a day you thought maybe i can maybe i can like do something else right (laughs) yeah i don't know um uh well i'm gonna steal an expression that i heard from the film director ridley scott uh he says he said um in an interview he said i like to squeeze myself through the eye of a needle and so i kind of yeah i i'm a glutton for punishment so i decided to start a youtube channel and and i said to myself um i think the main reason i i I wanted to do it was because when i looked at a lot of other when i looked at a lot of other classes on the internet i just i I always thought well that's that's just not right that's not true i don't that's you're you're that's not right um and i you know there's that typical thing where i thought well i can do better you know i can do this i can do better yeah um and and I don't know if you're if if you're familiar with um, the the Dunning Kruger curve. Uh, yeah, again, it's, it's this, another thing that I sort of is that the bell curve that goes like this. Yeah, basically, it's it's um, it, Dunning Kruger is is basically that w- when you know a small amount about something, you think that you you know a lot about it. Right? Okay, okay. Um, and only only over time does your ignorance kind of really get revealed um you know it's like there's nothing that there's in the same way that there's nothing there's nobody who's more anti-smoking than an ex-smoker right right um i think there's nothing there's nothing more dangerous (laughs) than in an english teacher who only knows a little bit about english right yes (laughs) If, if, if if you sort of know what i mean because and i was there that that's where i was um at that point you know I thought that I knew everything and I thought that I could do better than everybody else. And I thought that I had the way and, but really I was really ignorant. How? (laughs) In what way? What did you um, think you knew? What we, yeah. I think that, I think that I thought, well, no, I I did, I did think that um, perfection in language came from knowing uh, like all of the technical details of, of language. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's funny cause that's not what I practiced in my physical classes with students. I always did a lot of kind of, kind of conversation. Um, but, but yeah, but my online presence was essentially like a, a video version of, uh, you know, of, of a grammar book, you know, really like, so lists of stuff, uh, all the exceptions to things. It was really heavily focused on that, that idea. What's wrong with that, though? What's wrong with, um, you know, showing people, hey, look, this is how we say it, and this is how we don't say it, so avoid saying this and try to say this. What's wrong yeah, with that? Yeah, but it, it, was, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even that. It was more, it was literally, um, I think the first 10 videos I made were, like, present simple, uh-huh. and then present continuous, and then... Um, uh, you know, it was, it was just, it was basically the typical, because I'd, I'd absorbed that. I thought that was the way to teach a language because that's what, that's what the, the industry does in general. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it, like, you have this, it's yeah, like, it's like right, English, sorry. Um, it's like English grammar in use. It's literally yeah. page, you know, it's, it's the contents page, uh, goes through grammar points bit by bit. 
and it's kind of that's you know that seems to be the the standard way to learn and teach a language is that you do incremental exactly. bits of grammar step by step and and um yeah exactly um and so that i cop i copied that you know that 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 approach but i think over time i realized that well number one i didn't really enjoy making that kind of content because um I just it just was a lot of regurgitation of existing knowledge in terms of like there's there's so many excellent grammar books that can explain the technical details of language yeah. you know we I don't really think that that more of that's kind of necessary you know that our understanding of all that is actually really good in a lot of ways um so and then I kind of realized that that actually um success or failure depends much more on the things that we've been talking about, like setting achievable goals, being motivated, um, understanding how to study rather than, you know, studying, you know, many, many, many hours in, in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, I started to realize that that stuff was, was much more important. So now my content is a lot more, um, I would say less directly useful, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm a little bit worried that I've gone too far the other way now uh-huh. and that my content is too abstract and it's it's veering too far into kind of psychology and philosophy. Um, so I need to pull myself back a little bit. Yeah, but I think that um, <laughs> I think that there's something to be said for making content that you really love doing uh, because yeah. then your enthusiasm will come through. And ultimately, that's just going to provide people with uh, a source of English that they feel good about, that they like, that they're motivated to listen to. And your fans will, you know, will love watching your content. And as a result, they're just getting English in a personal way, which I think is really beneficial. Um, And if you're inspiring people and just helping people to get that little bit more English in their daily lives, then I think you're doing a good thing. I mean, your, your, your videos have got, how can I say it? You're, you're, you're a very good speaker. Um, Mm. So what did I write down? I wrote down things that are sort of impressed by when I see your stuff. So your way of putting complex things into simple terms, you like using metaphors. Yeah. I'm obsessed with metaphors. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, your speaking, your speaking style. You, you you sort of speak slowly, but it's not just about speaking slowly. You also choose your words very carefully. You clearly put a lot yeah. of love into the work, and also the videos look good. And this is all stuff that comes across, and it makes it pleasant to to see your content. And I think that's well, that's, that's really important. Kind. Yeah, um, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of people ask me if I speak like this normally, or if um, you know if I put it on, you know, for the for my videos um but I, I i speak like this all the time and i think that it's i think it's just a result of of of, of, of my work um because there's kind of i i think there's two there's two types of content on on the internet for language learners you know there's there's content which is designed to be completely kind of authentic you know it's like um content where it's you know uh let's say unscripted natural conversations between people where they're using idioms and 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 slang and you know swearing and mm-hmm. and and that that kind of absorbing all that content prepares students for 
you know, the reality of, of conversation and the reality of, of real world language use. And that, that's all super important stuff, you know? Um, but, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in transmitting a message. And so I use really simple vocabulary and I, I choose my words carefully and I enunciate because I don't want my language to actually be a barrier. You know, I yeah. want the idea to be, to be clearly transmitted and I don't, I'm not trying to be a model for, let's say an average, you know, English speaker. But this is, this is a really important thing. There's, you know, there's different types of English for different types of situation. So for example, yeah. a lot of my episodes, I am talking to friends and doing what you said, having these authentic mm-hmm. conversations. And I think that is how we often will talk to people in, 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 in our lives we have these messy conversations where they go off in yeah. different directions a bit like the conversation we're having today um, yeah, yeah. and that's that's appropriate for that kind of situation but then then sometimes um, as a speaker of English you will have to for example give a presentation at work or or something like that or you'll have to communicate a complex message in a simple way and do it on your own and yeah. that's when you have to adapt your English. And if you do it like you, you'll probably be a lot more effective. If you go up and say, so, you know, today I'm going to kind of talk about some stuff. And then you make some jokes and then you, like, oh, sorry, I'm getting distracted. And blah, blah blah. That's not really a, an eff- going to be an effective way to use your 10 minute presentation slot. If you're going to do a TED talk, for example, you've got to do it the way that you do it, because that's how you yeah. hold people's attention and you get the message across. That's how the best for example, politicians will communicate. If you think of, yes. I mean, if you think of someone like Barack Obama, a lot of his stuff, there's, there's, it's very brief. He will speak like this, and you know, he will say a simple thing, and leave a big <laughs> space, uh, and then he will say something else. You know, and it, it's, it delivers that you know a complex. It could be a complex thing or anything, but he will deliver it in this very simple way. Like uh, we are going to, we're going to have some breakfast. And then we're going to go to work. Um, that's just my Barack Obama impression. But, it's so good. I can't. Your Barack Obama impression is amazing. Um, wow. This is a secret talent. Um, I like to do impressions of American presidents. Don't ask me to do Trump because I... Cause it's, okay. Um, anyway, so the point is, though, that uh, your way of communicating is uh, a good example of how sometimes you have to slow down, less is more, um, yes. and break up your um, uh, sentences uh, in order to communicate the message. Um, so there, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think um, you gave a great example when you talked about TED Talks, you know, because, um, you know, a TED Talk, you'll find that, yeah, people are very careful with the language they use. They'll speak really slowly. They'll enunciate more. They'll leave longer pauses um, because that's the right forum. You know, that's the right place to use to use that kind of language. Um, and I think, you know, that's a, that's another thing that learners, um, you know, need to need to get good at. Right? Is not just communicating in one way. It's it's about uh, variation. Um, mm. You know, and, and to me, that's kind of a little bit of the. Um, the problem with um, the problem with a lot of uh, mass-produced like learning materials is that they're very uh, homogenous. You know, it's always like the same kind of English 
talking about the same kind of subjects. I mean, if if I imagine that if you and I haven't, I can't say this empirically, you know. Yeah. But I imagine that if you looked at the table of contents of the top fifty grammar books that are used in in the world, I would say that the chapters would be probably all about the same things, um, and they would contain probably the same vocabulary and um, you know the same kind of activities and you know yes um, yes I think so. <laughs> um, what's it like being a YouTuber? I mean, moving not just about teaching English and stuff, but just like producing yeah. content for YouTube. What's what's it like doing YouTube? Um, you know, I'm. Um, it's 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 an interesting job, you know, because um, I mean, it's not actually my my full time job. You know, I don't um, I don't make enough money, or and I don't produce enough content to be a to be a full time YouTuber. Um, you know, it's something that I do. I'm doing in order to try and spread a, a kind of bigger message, but um, I think I, I think probably the the best thing about YouTube is that it allows anybody to access an enormous audience. Um, you know, the, the idea that even even let's say 20 years ago, the idea that a person could could have 10,000 people or 50,000 people listen to their content. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. That's, that's, that's only, you know, happening now. Mm. Um, but, and, and this is, this is something that's kind of related to what we've been talking about. Um, sometimes, you know, the hardest part of being a YouTuber is, is the pressure to create, you know, and, and, so, and that's exhausting in a kind of different way because, um, you know, especially as as your audience grows and there's more people, you kind of feel like, well, I can't just sit at a table and make a video about this because that's not good enough yeah. for this many subscribers. You know, I need to I need to spend time to make the video with this production quality and this content and yeah, right. So I think that the pressure to 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 constantly produce, the pressure to produce the right type of content, I think it actually grows over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you, and I know that probably a lot of people will will consider a lot of YouTubers like let's say snowflakes. You know, um, there's plenty of like let's say big popular like vloggers who have quit. They say I'm off YouTube because I can't take the pressure anymore. And people say, what are you talking about pressure? You know, all you do is just drive your Ferrari around and make. Yeah. But it's a kind of um, it's it's an unusual. I think it's. Okay, maybe this is getting a little bit too deep, right? Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, this is a unique moment in human history where people put themselves out there um, to an enormous amount of people, and it can go either way, right? It can go be good or bad, and sometimes if it's bad, I think it can really affect, yeah. really affect people. Yeah, totally. Know? Like for me, um, I don't know, a few years ago when my audience wasn't as big as it is now, uh, I felt a lot more uh, liberated to just do whatever the hell I wanted to do. And there, I, I used to be able to just like come in, get my microphone, switch it on and just start talking and just make stuff up on the spot. And there were some yeah. some episodes where I really sort of surprised myself with the level of improvisational comedy that I came out with. 
because that's that's <laughs> yeah. kind of my thing as as well you know yeah and just making up stories just ramp, rambling off the top of my head making it up as i went along and feeling completely free to do it and these days sometimes I, I'm, I'm like desperate to do the same thing and i switch the microphone on and i'm already second guessing myself because yeah. i know that because i've got a bigger audience the the the, the stakes are much higher and yes. all it takes is for a small percentage of your audience to not like what you're doing and it yeah. and it hurts even if even if like everyone else loves it if that small percentage doesn't like it it hurts and that small percentage yeah. grows as your audience grows and so you feel yes. more and more pressure and you feel more and more limited by it and it requires a lot more energy and a lot more bravery to take risks as your audience grows. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and also, <clears throat> imagine if the reason that you're growing, the reason that your, your audience loves your content is because you used to just sit and improvise. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the pressure means that you don't do that anymore, so your content changes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, a weird thing, it's right? It's an extremely weird situation to find yourself in, where yeah. you, you get stuck, you get pushed into a corner, uh, in a sense. Mm. Uh, and so, I mean, I could, and I'm sure I've got people in my audience now who are going, yeah, please do more of that stupid stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, I should, and I could, but it, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, free yourself to the extent where you don't care what the reaction is going to be. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. Yeah. It's pretty draining. There's, uh, um, th- there's a song by the white stripes, mm-hmm. uh, they were, uh, an American rock band and the song, it's just like a short song and it says something like um when you start as a musician you start off in your little room and then you're making your music in your little room and then all of a sudden you're in the stadium right mm-hmm. and you're and, and you've got a, a ten thousand a hundred thousand people listening to your music but then after a while you realize that you need to go back to your little room again yeah that's basically what the song is about i can't remember the exact lyrics but and and i often think that that is actually the the kind of the 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 trajectory that's necessary you know because how often do you see it right with musicians um you know with filmmakers with writers you know they 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 start with this amazing little thing and then it gets so big and the quality just goes or the the heart goes or it crushes they have to go back yeah they have to go back to the to the to the small room again. This is one know, of the, the beginning. I'm a huge fan of the Beatles and particularly Paul McCartney at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love the way at, at, at this point in time we're kind of revising our version of of the Beatles story and Paul. Suddenly everyone is realizing how amazing Paul uh, is. Uh, but one of the things that always impresses me so much is that so off the back of the breakup of the Beatles when they just you know they. Uh, released Abbey Road to huge critical acclaim and it's Abbey Road and stuff. Paul goes off and makes his own solo album. And it's exactly what you said. It's just literally him in his kitchen with a little four track recorder doing all the instruments himself. And, um, and it's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's like, it's so ahead of its time. And I just admire Paul for, for being able to do that, that he went off and made a little homemade album and that was his first statement after quitting the biggest band in the world. And he had the bravery to do it. And then he did it again in 1980 when Wings broke up. He did another okay. one, another homemade album, which is like this really weird synthesizer music, totally bizarre and not what you'd expect from Paul McCartney of, of you know, Hey Jude fame. 
and by the way, he's about to release another one. He made it really? during lockdown, and everyone's all really? the Paul McCartney fans are getting excited about it. McCartney three. <laughs> anyway but yes yes it's it's a it's yeah a i mean imagine imagine like, like you said the bravery right the bravery of um we can only imagine how much money he had and you know the the record companies would have been would have been willing to pay any any money for a new album from him and he could have gone into he could have hired writers and gone into the best studios yeah. in the world and but he went into the kitchen yeah i think that's awesome yeah right it was just him and his wife and, uh, you know, he had uh, a baby daughter at the time and he just scaled it right back to in, on, in, on a farm in Scotland, on a dilapidated wow. old farm in Scotland. Yeah, amazing that he did that. <sighs> well, <laughs> well um, how, 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 how far back would, would you have to go, do you think? Oh, I, go, I don't know to... if I'd have to go that far back, really. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I guess I've just sort of compared myself to Paul McCartney, haven't I? Have I just done that? No, no, I just, maybe, maybe your next post on Twitter will be you in like a stone cottage in the Cotswolds or something. <laughs> ah, that would be lovely. No, I don't think I'd have to go that far back, to be honest. Um, I think I don't have the same level of pressure on me as, as, as Paul. Um, but still, it's it's an inspiration. So yeah, I, I wouldn't have to go that far back. I think maybe I yeah. could just take a risk and just record some nonsense. But it, it's it's quite hard to do that when you when you think too much about what people are going to how people are going to react. Yes, the best way is just well, to just to forget, just to switch off the editor and just go for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, and 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 you, you know, as you said, you know, I, I love metaphor, right? And yeah. I think that the, the, there's there's a metaphor here, um, in that. Um, you know, okay. So, a, a lot of uh, language learning is is um, is is like the constant, the constant um, chase for more, right? Like, I need more grammar. I need more vocabulary. You know, it's this constant. Well, language acquisition, right? It's about acquiring new skills. But um, Paul Paul Nation's research. So, Paul Nation is a professor from uh, New Zealand. I can't remember which university, but he does lots of research about vocabulary uh, acquisition, mm. uh, especially. Um, and his research shows that about 25%, so a quarter of any good language course, will be what he calls fluency development, mm -hmm. which means that you don't spend any time learning anything new. You spend a quarter of your time just repeating the stuff you already know again and again and again and again and again and again yeah. until it becomes automatic. And so, you know, I would say that it's a bit like going back to basics, right? Like if, if a student is bored of, of, of learning new vocabulary, okay, stop. It's fine. Like you probably have enough, like just go back now and, and go back into your little room and just practice what you already have and, and make that awesome. Yeah. And I, I really believe in the importance of just messing around uh -huh. and just, yes. just faffing about just having stupid fun, which is, it, it's something I always want to do in my lessons, but it's difficult to do because of obviously the students come loaded with so many expectations. It's hard to totally change their minds and let them see the value of just messing around and having silly fun in class. Um, uh, but there have been times when I've had the right students and I've been in the right place and I've done it. And it's just been amazing, you know, where yeah. the students are being really funny and they uh, you can sense that they've gained a lot of confidence from being funny in English and having yeah. fun. 
Uh, there's yeah. a lot of value to it. Yeah. Well, in fact, um, I was listening to a podcast recently. Um, it, it's the show about language called The Illusionist. I don't know yeah. if you know of it. Kate Zolt- yeah. Helen Zaltzman. Helen Zaltzman, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and there's one episode which is about poetry. And there's, there's basically there's this type of poetry that originated in Japan. And it's basically all about restriction. Um, and, and, and what I found fascinating about the, about the episode was that essentially restricting yourself leads to imagination and creativity. So like, for example, they, the, these poets, they set themselves challenges like, um, you have to write a poem and you're not, you're not allowed to use any, uh, you're not allowed to use the letter A or uh, mm-hmm. you have to, um, write a poem and every single sentence has to start with the word dog. You know, and so this these kind of creative restrictions actually produce amazing results. And I think there's something to be said about I think something to be said about the power of a limited ability in a way. Right? It's like imagine how much fun students would have in class if you said, right, I want you to uh, you know write write a short story, and you're not allowed to use any um, you know. You're not allowed to use any adjectives or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. It'll be, I think it would be great fun. They would love that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, do Is there a kind of final message? You like messages. Is there some sort of final message that we can use to wrap up this conversation? <laughs> um, I mean, to, 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 to me, um, because we're talking about, you know, going back, like going back to the Paul McCartney, we're back in his room and, mm-hmm. and you know, going, going back. I, I, can't, I kind of feel like that some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning of this conversation was, was really important, you know, for language learners in, in that, um, you know, I think that success is success in language learning is about either having a need or creating a need, you know, so um, if you have a need, like because you're living in Paris and because your wife only speaks French or because you're working in a French company, well, in a way, the motivation will, will take care of itself mm-hmm. because you'll be forced to do it. A lot of language learners aren't in that situation, right? They're in, in, they're going to class and they're like, they're adults, right? They're busy people, but you have to spend time to create the necessity, whether that's, um, like, like you, you know, with, with, with your, you know, with your deep interest in, in graphic novels or whether it's like booking, booking an online class yeah. with a teacher to have conversation, like, like making it a, you know, make, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, what's, what's the, you know, holding yourself, uh, to account holding yourself accountable, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, you have to create need, I think. Yeah. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Christian, thank you so much. Good luck with the charity project. Thank um you. thank you sir kangaroo english that's com slash donate exactly. um people can check out your youtube channel they can see you reading from the dictionary for 18 hours <laughs> yeah yeah um your retinas are still attached amazingly <laughs> enough barely yeah um and uh yeah great well thanks for talking to me it's been really interesting and uh, good luck for whatever you do next Thank you, sir. The same to you. Okay, mate. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I don't know. Are you happy with that? Yeah, I'm very happy with that. It's great. Okay. I'm going to stop recording.
So that was Christian from Kangaroo English. Come on, that was good, wasn't it? I hope you agree that there were plenty of solid bits of insight about language learning there from two teachers who've been working for years to actually help people learn English. Thank you again to Christian for talking to us and for giving his sincere and thoughtful comments on all the stuff that I asked him about. Remember, there is a video version of this episode and you'll find it on YouTube. Luke's English Podcast is the channel name. Don't forget to like and subscribe, okay? Smash that like button, okay, guys? Um, Seriously, though, uh, why not watch the video now that you've heard the audio? It could be a good way to reinforce what you've heard, and there's a good chance that you'll understand a lot more the second time round. My episodes are often long and have a lot in them, so listening or watching more than once is definitely worthwhile if you can find the time to do it. Also, check out Kangaroo English on YouTube if you haven't already done so. Uh, Have a look at his dictionary challenge if you want to see a man suffering in front of vocab. (laughs) Otherwise, uh, have a look at the various videos that he's made about the psychology of learning English and lots more. A quick note before the end about Wispolep, the competition. I'm working on the next part of that, so stay tuned and watch this space. Also, I'm working on premium content, which should be coming soon. But otherwise, there's a large library of episodes there for you to work with, including pronunciation drills, which I think might be some of the most valuable of the premium episodes, actually. Uh, Teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. Finally, then, um, I I feel inspired to sing a song with my guitar. So if you're not a fan of, I don't know what, if you're not a fan of music, or at least my version of, of music, then now's the time to... I don't know, go and do something else. But um, otherwise, I hope you stick with me. The tune I'm going to do is called Wonderful World. And it's not the Louis Armstrong one, you know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. It's not that one, although that is a lovely song as well. Now, this one is uh, the one by Sam Cooke. Uh, Maybe you know it. You may have heard it. It's, It's a classic. And I've chosen this one because I'd like to dedicate it to my lovely wife, who has more patience than I gave her credit for in this episode. You'll find the chords and lyrics on the page for this episode if you'd like to sing along or learn it for yourself. Otherwise, I'm going to sing for you and then that will be the end of this episode. And I'll say bye, bye, bye at the end. All right, then. Okay. Don't know much about history Don't know much biology Don't know much about a science book Don't know much about the French I took But I do know that I love you And I know that if you love me too What a wonderful world this would be Don't know much about geography Don't know much trigonometry Don't know much about algebra Don't know what a slide rule is for But I do know one and one is two 
And if this one could be with you, what a wonderful world this would be. Now I don't claim to be an A student, but I'm trying to be. For maybe by being an A student, baby, I could win your love for me. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. But I do know that I love you And I know that if you love me too What a wonderful world this would be Goodbye, bye, 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 bye Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.